Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with a Chicken Whisperer radio show brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends at Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. How would you like to sleep in on the weekends without having to get up early to let your chickens out? Or not have to rush home after eating dinner to shut your chickens in for the night? And who's had the unfortunate surprise that a raccoon, possum, or fox got to your chickens because you forgot to close the coop? Well, your days of worrying have come to an end. Introducing the Chicken Guard Automatic Chicken Coop Door Opener. 
Working off either the timer or light sensor, Chicken Guard automatically opens your coop door in the morning to let the girls out and shuts it at night to keep them safe. Tried and trusted by over 40,000 users worldwide. Buy Chicken Guard online at chickenguardian.com or your local farm and feed store. That's chickenguardian.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. This looks like a job for Super Chicken. You get the super sauce, I'll don my super suit. How would you like a punch in the beak? Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for uh, staying with us today. We have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Maurice Pateski, and uh, we got a very interesting topic, so make sure you get that Chicken Whisper notebook out. You know, the, all of you regular listeners, get that Chicken Whisper notebook out, that spiral notebook with that pen, so you can take lots of notes. I know a lot of you long-time listeners, this is, we've done well over... Uh, 1,100 episodes, and uh, they're all archived for your listening pleasure, but I can imagine how many notebooks our, our good, regular, long-time listeners have gone through. There's a lot of great information in those notebooks, I'm sure, that you can refer to day in and day out, uh, maintaining a healthy flock in, in your backyard, so um, got to love it. I'm heading to Ohio on Sunday. I'm going to wake up Sunday morning and head up to uh, Ohio, upper Sandusky area. I'm going to be making some uh, educational videos uh, with Kambach feeds. And uh, um, actually, for um, this has been a goal of mine for a long time, so I'm very excited about doing this. Um, and I've, worked, I've uh, kind of planned this for the last couple of years. Um, but I, my, my main goal, uh, the end game here, is to I really want to educate a lot of the feed and seed store, farm stores, whether it's a chain or a mom and pop, um, want to chain, uh, train and educate uh, their uh, employees on, on, on just, you know, some basics about backyard poultry and backyard poultry keeping because there's a weak link there, and I see it. I've seen it for years. I've see it, I have see a lot of uh, people posting online. Oh, I went to the feed store, and, 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 heck, I knew more than this person about chickens. Or ask him a question, and I know he gave me the wrong answer. It ended up being the wrong answer. He didn't really know anything. And so, you know, um, there's a weak link there, and I've seen it for years. So, uh, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I'm, I'm really excited to, to be able to do this through Kambach and, and their dealers. But we're going to head up there uh, next week, and we're going to be doing some videos and uh, really geared toward Chick Days events in the spring. And we've got about four uh, of the most probably popular questions, most common questions from really the newbies, the first-time chicken keepers. So when they're walking into the stores this year, uh, this spring, during the Chick Days events, they have these basic questions, then uh, the employees there will be more um, prepared to answer those and answer those correctly. So it's, it's really like a training series. It'll be on DVD or we'll, it'll be downloaded to a, uh, um, a, a drive somewhere. Where they, uh, for the employee, for example, they can during their break, uh, they'll be really short, 90-second uh, um, to uh, two-minute videos, where they can uh, come in and maybe they're taking their 15-minute break, uh, have a little snack, have a drink of water, and then and then watch this, you know, 15 minutes of it here and 15 minutes of it there, probably about a 30-minute, and then and then we'll add to that, so it'll be a series. Um, we'll have maybe you know spring, you know spring, and then fall, and then, you know winter, summer questions, and then because there's a weak link there, you know, even when I go on tour and I'll be going on. Tour this this spring. Um, we're looking at heading up to Michigan and doing a lot of stores up in Michigan uh, this spring. And I'm sure we'll be doing some uh, in Ohio and the surrounding areas of Michigan. But I know we're really going to concentrate heavily uh, in, in, in the state of Michigan this year for uh, Chick Days. And um, but you know you know you've got let's say you've got anywhere from 35 to 100 people turn out to an event, and you're doing that once or twice a year on on a tour. You can only reach so many people. And then you know there's online stuff, but we know about how you know uh, unreliable that is. In fact, there's a whole book coming out in January. 
about how unreliable the blogs and forums are. But um, so this way, I feel like we can really get uh, educate more folks and get the right more of the correct information out there by helping the employees. Because you might have somebody that that's hired, and they're all into horses, they're all into goats, they're all into pigs or livestock or something. But they're, maybe they're kind of weak on the on the chicken end. Uh, so because um, I don't know anything about horses, we owned a horse for a while, and I'm glad I don't anymore. But uh, so I wouldn't be able to answer. Horse questions, if I, or, or, or even well, we've owned goats before, I'd probably answer a few goat questions. But so, so for some employees, it might be a weak link. You might have a part-time high school employee that doesn't have any animals at all, but is working at the, the local hardware store. And a lot of these hardware stores are kind of turning into farm stores uh, and uh, Ace Hardware, the True Values, and so they may have somebody there that doesn't have any experience. But so, so I think this is going to be a great opportunity to again help educate the masses. Or one another way we can do that uh, with information. So I'm really excited excited to go on up to Ohio this week, and I'll be making some training videos with Combot feeds for the, the dealers that carry their uh, their great products and um, helping to spread the chicken love, um, to help spread the right chicken love, I guess, the accurate information for, for those that are getting into it by and through the employees. So looking forward to that. Like I said, this uh, spring, probably about mid-February, uh, we're starting early this year, and I uh, have to get some new... Uh, uh, Mud grip tires on the truck before I head up there. Snow tires. Be heading up to Michigan, probably around uh, February 15th, and we'll be like two to two and a half weeks up in Michigan. Come back to Ohio for the big uh, agricultural conference that Combot puts on every year. It's fabulous, and then uh, heading back out for another seven or ten days after that to complete the uh, book tour. And I'm so excited because I'll have the both books, the first book, the second book, the um, Factor Chicken po uh, Poop book that's going to be out as well. So that's going to be a fabulous tour. I'm really looking forward to that. So let's get on with today's show. Again, a uh, good friend, Dr. Maurice Potesky. We're talking, I guess, really to kind of simplify it, uh, drug slash egg withdrawal times and, 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 and drug residues found in eggs. And I, I guess I didn't – well, I knew that there was big mite problem over in the UK and the European Union over that way because I belong to some of those uh, Facebook groups and they talk about mites a lot and apparently there's it's it's kind of it's, it's hard over there to get uh, meds for your backyard flock so they, uh, they'll oftentimes try to go the natural route I'm not a, definitely as you know I'm not opposed to that but let's just say a lot of it's not gonna work and so um, uh, so they, they apparently, and, and, and Dr. Potesky is going to share a little bit about this, started using uh, Frontline, like the key of uh, flea uh, and tick repellent for your dogs and cats, Frontline. And he'll tell us the active ingredient of that and, and, and that they found, uh, I guess I guess it caught on. Someone said, oh, I got some Frontline, and I used it, and it worked great. And, oh, we can use it too. And then I guess through the Internet and viral information, it spread. And then uh, they had somehow now he'll tell us why and how all that happened test apparently tested the eggs and and found the residue of that uh treatment of that drug in the eggs from these uh, folks chickens so um we we visit this probably once a year and uh it's, it's just important thing to be aware of uh with your backyard flock depending on how you're treating them and what you're using so uh, let's go to the phone lines right now and we'll bring on our good friend dr maurice Pateski. hey doc thanks for joining us today Great. Thanks again, Andy, for having me. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, I was. Uh, uh, we were out this morning, but um, I was like, man, i got to get back. i got to do the show at 2 o'clock. It's a great topic. Looking forward to it. And I don't know how well I kind of uh, uh, opened the topic today with that, just from the limited knowledge I know about what's going on over there across the pond, but I'm sure you'll share a little bit more about, uh, about it and um, if I – uh, gave any wrong information about that, but um, it's it's important for backyarders to know. I know a lot of the backyarders try to go the more natural route. They don't want to have to use uh, the you know the um, other things that are on the market that may may have a, an egg withdrawal period. But sometimes you know you got to do what you got to do to keep your chickens healthy, and especially when they may have some diseases. But um, frontline, I guess, is one of those things that. And and back, I think we were talking on the phone yesterday. Um, back in 2008, probably about 10 years ago, eight to 10 years ago, uh, there was that was in the Atlanta market, in the Atlanta backyard chicken uh, arena. That was a thing, that little rumor that was kind of going around. Oh, you can use Frontline, just use it. I've used it; it works great, and I'm fine, and I'm eating my eggs, and I'm still kicking. And so it's nothing new because I even remember back then it was uh, kind of the uh, 
uh, word on the street type of thing using Frontline on, on your chickens. But I'll turn it over to you because I'm anxious to hear about what's going on across the pond as well with their, their red mite problem because I knew they were having some issues over there with that too. <clears throat> yeah, well, thanks again, Andy. And uh, I think you set it up perfectly. So um, I think the, the the big kind of thematic things I just wanted to stress, if, if you forget everything else I'm talking about, is um, so – Frontline and the active ingredients in Frontline are not allowed anywhere near food animals, so we do not use them in food animals, um, whether they're backyard or even if uh, we have a backyard chicken that you know we say, oh, that chicken doesn't um, produce any eggs anymore, I'm not going to eat it for meat, that's still not allowed um, because it might be around other animals that are used for food or um, maybe that bird escapes or maybe it gets sold or something happens and it gets its meat or eggs eventually get used uh, for some type of food animal application. So it's really important to realize that, that big picture, you know, we're thinking about this at the 10,000-foot level, we just do not use frontline food animals. We can use them in our pets, and it's really, as a veterinarian, very uh, used to fipronil, the, one of the active ingredients or the active ingredient in the primary active ingredient in frontline. Um, and I'll talk a little about that a little later. We can use that in our uh, dogs, not our cats, um, but it's very effective and useful and, 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 and safe as long as we don't consume it. Um, but we're not eating our dogs and cats, obviously. So that's the big difference. And then the other thing I really wanted to stress is just because it works, just because it's really good at controlling mites, which I would agree with, um, that doesn't mean we should use it in food animals. And that, that's the big thing to point out. I, I can't tell you how many times I've given a talk where, you know, someone kind of in the, when I'm giving kind of an outreach talk to backyard enthusiasts and someone raises their hand and they're like, that stuff works great, this frontline stuff. I mean, I had a mite problem and they just completely disappeared. Um, I would agree with that, but, but they don't, you know, they're not thinking about the, uh, the bigger issues that these are food animals, whether you say they're show animal or not, we, we do not use them in, in food animals. And that's a really, really, really important point to stress. So just because it works doesn't mean we should use it. And that, that kind of leads to the other kind of overarching theme um, in case your listeners are not familiar with. Uh, we have some great resources for this, this type of stuff. Um, whenever you are in doubt about a medication, how much should be utilized, whether it should be put in the food or the water, um, are there extra label usages of it. So there is a great website and resource called FARAD, um, so you would type in F-A-R-A-D dot org. It's the Food Animal Residue Avoidance Data Bank. And basically what it is, it's uh, a group of um, highly trained veterinary pharmacologists and toxicologists and researchers at several veterinary schools uh, throughout the United States, including UC Davis, but uh, also including Florida, North Carolina State, uh, Virginia, Maryland, and Kansas State University. And their overarching kind of focus is, is providing accurate scientific information to uh, veterinary practitioners, um, mm -hmm. backyard enthusiasts, uh, et cetera, other stakeholders regarding unsafe chemical residues, uh, drugs, pesticides, uh, natural toxins, environmental contaminants, um, um, all those type of uh, challenges, which are very common in, in backyard poultry especially, Ferret is there to help you. And if you go to their website, um, you can submit a question about a drug residue issue that you are curious to address. There is a really nice page. I'm kind of Googling around on it right now. There's a really nice page on species-specific web pages, and you can click on, to their credit, not just poultry, but they have a special section there for backyard poultry. And then when you click on that special section for backyard poultry, there's one more link that takes you to CFDA-approved medications for laying hens. And you can get a list of the trade name, the active ingredient, the species of chicken that can be used in, the route of administration, um, whether it is part of the veterinary feed directive, which is uh, a new rule which we've talked about previously, which would require a um, a relationship with a veterinarian and a prescription ultimately from a veterinarian, or whether it's over the counter, um, um, those those are also um, described there, um, or whether you need some type of, of additional prescription is described there. Um, you can also once you get there, you can click on another um, uh, link which takes you to see withdrawal periods. 
So uh, when you treat, when you use antibiotics, um, we want to make sure that the residues um, are not present in eggs or meat. So there are specific withdrawal periods about once you treat them, how long you have to wait before you can uh, consume any animal products from backyard poultry, for example. So it's a really, really good resource. Um, the other thing I really wanted to highlight on the page, and there's a lot of stuff there, but I'm just going to highlight a couple of them. Um, they do have a, a section on extra-labeled drug use. So this is an issue in backyard poultry because you get a lot of people who, who you know, read something online and goats, and they're like, oh, that's going to work for my coccidia problems in chickens. Um, or they see a mite problem, and they say, well, I'm going to use fipronil now in my because it works on my dog. I'm now I'm going to use it on my chicken. So if you click on the extra-labeled drug use, um, page and the website's really well organized. Um, there are um, descriptions of how you need to go about utilizing um, drugs in an extra label use. And the first thing it says um, is that only a licensed veterinarian uh, with a valid veterinary client patient relationship can use and prescribe a drug in an extra label manner. And, and hopefully this makes sense in that, you know, veterinarians are, are trained in pharmacology. They know the resources to use if they don't uh, specifically know how a drug is metabolized or what withdrawal periods are. So you can use drugs in an extra-label manner, which basically just means you can use them um, in, in a way that the label doesn't specifically intend it for, but you really need a relationship. You really need a veterinarian to kind of walk you through that, or else you can end up getting yourself um, in some trouble legally, in addition to um, having some, I think probably the bigger issue, having some potential food safety issues, um, because none of us want, obviously, any of those residues um, contaminating our eggs um, that we give to our families, and, and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, part of the point of having backyard poultry is, is that um, many consumers think that it's a healthier option, and, and the reason they think it's a healthier option is because they're controlling what's going inside their bird. So um, we need to be really careful about what we put inside our birds. And raising our birds in a backyard environment is, is challenging because they are exposed to the environment around them. So, um, you know, there have been several publications recently in certain parts of the United States that have looked at uh, lead toxicity in eggs, for example, mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. of uh, exposure to, um, to lead in the, their environment. So it's really important. That's a whole other topic for a whole other time. But it's really important to really um, take this really seriously, what we put in our birds, what we give them. Um, it is very hard to treat food animals because, um, you know, we have to think about the food that they're producing and making sure that food is healthy and wholesome and doesn't have any of these um, issues with drug requirements. But I can't impress upon uh, your audience enough how really useful that website is. They really are good at getting back to people. Um, it's an excellent resource when you are trying to, uh, even just as a, not even, but just as a, as a backyard enthusiast, they will interact with you and give you their advice. And it, it's, you know, this is, this is what our tax dollars pay for. Um, so it's a great resource, and I, I really hope that people utilize it. It's, it's done by the USDA, um, and I'm sure there are similar types of programs in other countries, but I, I think we're probably one of the leaders, if not um, a global leader in this kind of area. There's a lot of science that goes into this, and, and this is really the output of all that research um, that gets done. So um, that's the, the high-level stuff is yeah. that we don't use fipronil in food animals, um, but there are some really good resources on what we can use, and there are some extra-label uses uh, for some drugs that, that do get used um, in poultry, but we really need to, to work with our, our poultry veterinarians on that or our backyard, our, our regular veterinarians yeah. on that. Sorry. Quick question for you um, regarding that. First, about the lead issue. I know several years ago the CDC contacted me. We're talking about that, and um, we never did a show on that, um, but it's, it's something that, you know, I still share with folks about, you know, if you live in a house that was, you know, built, I don't know what, the 70s and before, and it's been repainted or it's been scraped and painted, and or you have an old barn or old outbuildings that were one time painted with, you know, lead-based paint, da-da-da-da-da, um, and, uh, you know, the chickens like to scratch around the foundation of your house and around the foundation of the barn and other places like that where the paint chips may be falling off currently or had fallen and don't. Everybody out there knows chicken's going to pick up a little paint chip and, and taste it, but um, <laughs> like like styrofoam and everything else. But mm -hmm, um, and I think that was one 
that was one suggestion that they were talking about, just, just to be aware of if you ha have that in your surroundings. But my question for you is this, um, and, and it's my understanding because we've had the folks with um, Ferret on and, and they've written for the magazine and, and things like that, which is great. But um, And I run, this, I run into this um, on, on blogs and forums and things like that. Let's say that there is, uh, for example, I'm just going to throw out there like, um, um, what is it, the uh, Wazine, for example. And, and, I've, and we've, we've talked to this tour we're blue in the face and about, you know, it says right on the label, not for egg lay, you know, hens producing eggs, blah, 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 blah. And then someone on, online will post, well, the egg withdrawal time is, well, I'm just going to throw out there three weeks because I don't remember it exactly. And then I'll say, well, actually, there, you know, I go through the, the education process. There's really not, oh, well, my vet said that um, it, it's three weeks. And my, my question, I guess, around about questions is, let's say that if it's a um, off-label use, extra-label use, um, or, or anything, that the veterinarian, which you are, um, takes upon himself or herself to say, okay, I'm going to um, um, prescribe this for you. It's extra-label, off-label use, and this is how much I want you to use. This is how long I want you to use it. And this, you know, the, all the details that even if the vet does that, for that product, there's still not a official egg withdrawal time. Um, even if he says, "Yeah, I wait to eat the eggs for three weeks," that that's uh, my my under under understanding is that based that's the vet's opinion based on all the knowledge that he can gather and all the knowledge in his or her brain and all the information he knows about this drug and everything. That if he he or she says, "Oh, you know, I would wait three weeks to eat the eggs." That that's still not because people will take that and say, oh no, the withdrawal period for this is three weeks. My vet told me. There's technically there's still not a official egg withdrawal period or time for this. That's just what that particular vet at that particular time with their particular knowledge, their opinion, suggested for that chicken keeper using that drug. I, I think you follow where I'm going. Is that is that still a safe assumption? Is that still accurate? Um, if tell that individual, uh, you know, let's wait three weeks to eat the eggs while we're using this. Um, there, you could still, I mean, it's still factual that there's no official egg withdrawal time for that drug. Yeah, so you're, so you're right. There still is from Farad no official uh, recommendation on that. And I think mm -hmm. in, in, you know, I'm, I'm not a toxicologist, but, but the legally a veterinarian has to have some logic for why they're using a drug extra label in an uh -huh. extra label fashion. Sure. So if they have a paper or two papers that are, you know, published that are that make that argument, then I think they have, you know, two feet to stand on. Farad in general, um, and, and this is their perspective and, and I certainly respect that, Farad in general is going to be a little more conservative um mm -hmm. coming up with recommendations than maybe a private veterinarian will be. Um, just because mm -hmm. Farad is making recommendations at some level to the whole world about some of these drugs, you know, other countries see what we right. do, and they'll, you know, they'll rightly or wrongly they'll they'll copy us because they say, hey, these people are looking at the at the metadata, they're looking at all the published research, um, or they're looking at, you know, they do these systemic um, reviews now, which are uh, won't go into, but the the point being that I think the 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 bar is a little higher for Farad. Um, for obvious reasons, because they're out there. If something actually, let's say there's 10 papers on Wazine, well, let's say six of them say the withdrawal period is three weeks. They can't, they can't detect any, um, any active ingredients in eggs or meat, whatever, after three weeks. Well, let's say the other four find something. So at what point, you know, this is kind of a, almost a philosophical question, at what point right. do, you, do you make a decision that, yep, this is, this is fine, we're going to allow this, is it 60-40? Is it 70-30? I mean, I'm kind of simplifying, but this is kind of the way you go about doing these things. You look at all these studies, and you try to look at the metadata and make a decision from there. Um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but it's, 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 it's a, there, there's, there's a, a gray area in there about at what point you make that sure. decision that, yep, this is legitimate. Mm -hmm. And it gets complicated because you have the, the studies are all a little different. Maybe they're using different... Uh, strains mm -hmm, of bird. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're using slightly different levels of the drug. So then you have to decide, well, okay, do these, can, can we even compare these two studies to each other or do they go in separate categories? Um, so right, it, right. it's complicated to answer your question. I wanted to mention one quick thing about the, the, the lead thing because it, it is worthwhile for, mm -hmm. for people listening. Um, 
if you do have concerns about lead, and I think everyone should, um, especially if you're uh, feeding uh, your eggs to children, um, eggs are really healthy and a great source of protein, and the more we learn about them, the more we're really starting to realize that um, we can actually eat more eggs than, than you know, maybe when uh, Andy, you and I were younger, there was definitely mm-hmm. – um, you know, some, some research at the time that suggested that, that eggs were maybe not as, as healthy. Now the, the, the pendulum seems to be saying, yeah, eat more eggs mm-hmm. um, because it's a low-fat, <laughs> low-carbohydrate, high-protein, has all the right fatty acids in it type of, um, type of product. But um, when it does come to lead in backyards, it, that is an issue. And I have seen, you know, our, our, our lab's trying to um, – we do a lot of mapping in our lab, and we're looking at that issue in California. And I know people – in other states on the East Coast are looking at that issue, especially where they burn a little more coal. Um, but I would say um, that um, the lead issue is, is, is an issue and, and that people mm-hmm. should either submit eggs to a diagnostic lab to get it tested for lead at least once in, their, in the lifetime of their house just to see what's in there, or they should work with a veterinarian to get a blood sample uh, collected and have that blood excuse me, have that blood submitted to a diagnostic lab uh, to look for lead. There are some arguments about what's the more sensitive way to do things, whether it's the blood, whether it's the egg. Each person should probably work with their diagnostic lab um, in their state to see what sample they they recommend. But I, I, I would recommend at least one time um, – you know, that in, in where you own your, your, your home or, or you're renting a home, whatever it be, but at least one time you, you, you collect some eggs and send them to a diagnostic lab or you have a veterinarian come out and um, mm-hmm. collect some blood and send that to a diagnostic lab. My argument would be if you don't find anything, then you're probably home free unless something really significant happened as far as, you know, you repainted your house with some old lead paint or something you know like that or there was some leaded fuel somehow that got into your um, – into your environment. Um, but that one-time test, I think, is really important, um, and I would highly recommend that for, for, for most folks. I so, remember um, we had a lady on the show. We had a lady on the show several years ago. I think she was from Washington State, somewhere out uh, on, on the coast out there, and and I'm going to have to go find that radio show and re-listen to it to just refresh my memory, but they found high levels of ed. Actually, her kids tested positive when they went to a doctor's Eesh. visit, and they did blood work, and they said, oh, my goodness, and they had backyard chickens, and they and they found it in the eggs, and then the hall searched, and, I, and if I'm not mistaken, and I don't even remember the name, but I the last I heard with that, even on the show, that they felt like it was the feed that they were feeding them somehow had uh, higher uh, levels of lead within the feed. Now, th- did that come from the field where they were harvesting the, the grain that was, in, you know, um, but it was, uh, yeah, that's so it's nothing new, definitely, because we had a whole show about it, and that lady called in her kids, and she was, you know, doc- that's how they found out about it was, it was so, yeah, I'm going I'm to have to go back and revisit that and listen to that and see um, and then try to find out if there was ever an, uh, an official outcome of where that lead came from. I think they were talking about uh, through the feed source of somehow. So, uh, But, yeah, so um, nothing new, but definitely something that uh, people need to be aware of with their backyard flocks, especially if they got the old outbuildings and, and things like that. So thanks for sharing that. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. No, it's an interesting topic and, and a very important topic. So I wanted to talk a little about fipronil, which is the, the active ingredient in mm-hmm. Frontline, which, which um, our dog and cat owners out there are probably very familiar with. Um, Frontline is the not, – I'm not doing any advertising for them, but that's the, the product that it's typically associated with. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, a recent outbreak of fipronil. And remember we talked about earlier, it's not allowed anywhere near food mm-hmm. animals, as far as I can tell, anywhere in the world. But there was a recent outbreak in the EU, in the European Union, um, and they found uh, fipronil in eggs. Um, so the way the EU works is, uh, well, approximately the story is, and, and a lot of this is in, this is a criminal case now, so there's not a ton of information that's available, um, but I think it's a, a relevant topic to talk about. Um, so basically since about July, um, eggs from seven producers in the Netherlands um, have been uh, found to be contaminated with this fipronil product, um, which is very effective at controlling mites. Now, in the EU, we're very lucky in the United States. We don't, for the most part, have yet, hopefully, 
uh, red mites. Red mites are very hard to control. Um, we'll talk about that if we have a little time a little later on. In the United States, we mainly have northern foul mites, which we can control in other ways. Um, and hopefully, if we have some time, we can talk about that also. Um, but what I'd like to say is that these, so these, these seven producers in the Netherlands um, were, and it's not exactly understood, um, these seven producers were, were using fipronil to control red mites, which are very hard to control, um, in their laying hens. Um, and they've had huge recalls of eggs from uh, most of the European Union. So the Netherlands is in Northern Europe, and they produce a lot of eggs for the EU, also for Asia. So some of those eggs actually ended up in Hong Kong. Um, some eggs ended up in the Middle East, and eggs ended up all over, um, all over the EU, Finland, Germany, etc. So that, you just, this is the way the world works now. Um, but one of the other challenges of eggs, as we all know, eggs are kind of this ubiquitous food item. So they, they don't just get sold as eggs, they get sold in pancake mixes and all these other uh, breads and all these other processed foods. So it has become very challenging, um, and they are doing uh, surveillance in the EU for, I think I read, over 800 food products to try to uh, identify where lead, not where we're lead, where the fipronil might be located. Um, so it's a real challenging issue, not just because of the geography, now that, you know, the way the world works with global trade, that we have eggs that are exported all over the place and, and dried egg products and liquid egg products that are exported all over. Um, but eggs being this kind of ubiquitous ingredient is another uh, really significant challenge associated with this. Now, what makes it interesting is the product was sold. So there were two people that were actually arrested in the Netherlands um, in connection with this fipronil outbreak, I guess we can call it, um, and they're facing criminal wow. charges. Apparently, um, from what I can tell um, from all the different blogs and things that I read uh, that are poultry-related, from what I can tell, uh, apparently they, the, the farmers um, were not knowledgeable about what was in the product. They were sold a product that was, they were not told that it had fipronil in it, and that's why these two people have been arrested. Ah. So... Farmers might not be as culpable, you know, there's all kinds of arguments about, you know, who knows where, where this will go. But the point is, is that, you know, I think one of the, one of, one of the lesson learned, lessons learned here for those farmers at the minimum is that, you know, to really understand who's selling you what um, and to ask for um, some type of uh, sheet that has all the information about active chemicals in, in any product that you're sold that's, you know, some kind of combinatorial product of several different active ingredients because they were sold it as a disinfectant, and, and fipronil, as, as we all know, is an insecticide. So I, I don't know if they were, from, from what I read, I'm not exactly sure that those farmers were actually aware of what they were being sold. And you know, Obviously, that'll be um, hashed out over the next several years, hopefully. Um, but um, they are finding low levels of fipronil in eggs that were sold all over the EU. And just to show you how big a mess this was, in Germany, eggs from over 4,000 grocery stores had to be removed um, because they just weren't sure at, of the extent of this. Um, now, the nice part is in, in the EU, they label individual eggs. They're actually stamped, um, so it's pretty easy to trace back eggs from farms and flocks in the EU. Um, mm -hmm. The hard part is, though, again, as I said earlier, eggs are so ubiquitous, you can't trace back, you know, obviously a loaf of bread or um, any type of uh, dr salad dressing or all those type of things. So that's where they're trying to kind of go next is once they kind of figured out what, what lots of eggs are contaminated. Now the next question is to try to identify what potential foods might have fipronil in it. Now if you're exposed to fipronil, there are levels that you can be exposed to that are kind of within what we consider a, a normal kind of range. It's not, a zero, it's not like plutonium or something like that. It's not a zero tolerance. Uh, chemical. Even though we don't use it in food animals, it probably does end up in some of our foods, um, and the regulations kind of reflect that um, because they, they do allow a certain amount, parts per million, or parts per billion, excuse me, um, depending on whether you're in uh, the EU or the United States. Um, so what I found really interesting kind of, kind of doing my, my you know, kind of homework for this is that it's not just in the EU that they're having this problem. So in India, there's some reports now that fipronil might have been used in India to control, again, uh, mites, most likely red mites. 
And in uh, China and South Korea, there's all kinds of stories that you're starting to read about fipronil being in commercial um, eggs. And in South Korea, they had they did a, a survey and they found uh, 50 of uh, 1,250 egg farms um, were found to have uh, levels of pesticides, and fipronil is a pesticide. They didn't specifically say which one, but that were in violation of their standards in South Korea. So it is an issue. Um, and I think part of the problem is it comes down not just to regulations, but enforcement. So, um, you know, I have experience working in China, and, and there is a disconnect between, you know, what the central government will say as far as, you know, you can't use fipronil, and then the enforcement of that at the farm level can be a little challenging just because uh, it's a large country and there's, you know, it's, there's not always the level of enforcement um, and surveillance that's required uh, to make sure that people are are utilizing um, that, that they're treating their poultry uh, and other food animals correctly, and that's a real challenge in, in some parts of Southeast Asia and, and in other areas too. Um, and and it, what it requires, and this is the same thing for backyard enthusiasts, it really requires the knowledge to know why you don't use those drugs, um, and and just going online and reading something on a website somewhere is is not a appropriate way or a safe way of kind of going about how to treat, you know, backyard poultry or any food animal. We want to make sure that we're using, you know, as sound science as possible and that we're, we're reaching out to experts, whether they be veterinarians or, or other ty- or toxicologists or, or, or what it be. Um, but we just need to make sure that we're um, doing our due diligence and reaching out to all the different stakeholders we have. And FARAD is a great resource um, but there's others out there too, but we just want to make sure we're reaching the right resources um, and not someone just on a website that, that claims to, to know everything about a drug and what the withdrawal period is, um, like we were talking about Wazine, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple things I wanted to talk about. So just a couple things on Fipronil, and I'll talk a little about that outbreak in a little. But I, again, I, I just find it really interesting that this is, is – it, it is – this outbreak is unique to the EU. You know, the only way we really find out about these things is by doing surveillance. So it's really important. This is why we do surveillance for salmonella. It's why we do surveillance for lead. Um, that first step, and I'm a, a veterinarian, but an epidemiologist. So that first step is really, if we don't do surveillance, we don't know what's out there. We don't know what diseases are there. We don't know what chemicals might be there. If we don't do that, we don't know the scope of the problem. If we don't know the scope of the problem, um, you know, how can we – we can't solve the problem in the first place if we don't really understand that there is a problem there. So it's really important um, that we have these type of, of agencies that can, that can collect eggs, sample them, test them, and make sure that uh, the food that we're eating is safe. So fipronil itself is um, – it's an insecticide, and it, it acts on the central nervous system of the insect. Um, so it's very safe to use. We don't want to consume it. Um, so those of you that have um, dogs, um, we don't use fipronil in cats. Um, so if you have a dog and a cat, just as a former small animal veterinarian, you just want to be cautious about that. doesn't mean you can't use it, but there, there might be other products that might be a little more appropriate, or there are other products. You can get resistance over time. So just like with antibiotics and antimicrobial resistance, if you do use these products consistently, um, you will, and studies have shown this, that you will get resistance uh, of mites. So mites will become resistant to, to fipronil and other drugs over time. So we really want to use these things appropriately, um, and, and mite control is really important. And um, the way that we're – when we raise birds in a caged operation, is very difficult for mites. We don't really have mite problems. Uh, one of the – unintended consequences of moving to kind of cage-free production like the EU and the United States are, are, are in general moving towards is that you, you do deal with ectoparasites like mites in a much more robust way. Mm-hmm. They're much harder to treat. Um, so this is kind of one of those unintended consequences of this balancing act that we have of having food animals, wanting those food animals to be able to have adequate you know welfare, um, but also wanting the products to come out of there to be safe for human consumption. So there, there is an interesting balancing act there. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you know, the, 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 the issue with fipronil, why, why it is so concerning, I think, to folks like myself and probably Farad, is that it's easily available over the counter. 
So I've told you, I've, I've, I've had a couple times where I've given a talk and we're talking about ectoparasite control and how hard it is, and I have someone raise their hand saying, oh, just give it frontline. Um, so it's really important to, for us to kind of recognize why that is not an appropriate mm-hmm. response. Um, so a couple other things. I wanted to talk just a little about mites since um, this outbreak in the EU um, was really related to controlling uh, these red mites, and red mites are extremely difficult to um, are to control. We're very lucky in the United States that, for whatever reason, it could be environmental, um, could just be that we haven't had a transmission from you know the EU to the United States because of our um, our, our, our the way we control um, food products going back and forth and making sure that live animals are are um, quarantined before they come here. But for whatever reason, we've got these northern foul mites, um, which are much different than the red mites. Um, so that's actually very helpful for us. Um, so mites do exist on poultry. So, so one of the things that you'd want to do after you, you know, listen to the radio show today is, is pick up your chicken and, and mm-hmm. look in their, in their rear end and see if you can find any mites. That's usually where they'll congregate. Um, they're somewhat common. Um, one thing about the northern foul mite, northern foul mite, um, is that they are they can be on the host or off the host. Um, mm-hmm. So the northern foul mite, the, the northern foul mite, can't say that today. Um, typically during the day will hide in nests and cracks and crevices and litter, um, and that's during the day when they're not feeding. So if you go look right now. You might not find anything, but mm-hmm. then, to kind of finish up my point, you want to do the same thing at night again because that's when they feed, and again, they'll kind of feed in that cloacal region, um, and they can cause a lot of problems, a lot of disease, um, including they can make the, since they, they feed a blood meal, um, they can make the birds um, anemic, basically, because they're, they're consuming so much of that blood. Um, so look in that vent area. That's really, really important. Um, and, and there are other mites that, that um, spend their entire life cycle on the bird, but um, the kinds that we see typically, um, at least in California, are typically spending their days off the bird in those crevices and their, their nights back on the bird. So it's really important to do that kind of assessment between the day and the night so you get a good uh, understanding of what types of ectoparasites. We can talk about other ectoparasites, but I, I kind of want to focus on the mites at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we think about how we can control them, first of all, it's really important um, to keep our coops as clean as possible. So those, those uh, nests and cracks and crevices and the litter, uh, it's really important to keep that uh, nice and clean and keep the dust down. Um, and, and that's where we're going to get a huge uh, impact as far as control there. And it's also really important, how do these mites get there in the first place? They get there from wildlife so, again, we want to let our birds, this is that kind of balancing act of, of raising mm-hmm. backyard poultry, we want our backyard poultry to be out and about and to, to kind of be able to exhibit their natural behaviors. But we don't want them to interface with wildlife because wildlife are a reservoir of disease, including mites. Um, so it's really important that we reduce those interactions as much as possible. And then um, once we actually have a mite problem, if that actually happens, then we need to address that. And that's where um, I think in the commercial poultry industry, there are a class of, of, of drugs that are called acarides, um, and there's a bunch of different um, commercial sprays that the commercial conventional poultry industry can use. Um, you have to look at your, the EPA and sometimes your state EPA rules to see which ones you can use and not use. And that gets a little complicated. There's some great websites in California, for example, about what you can use and what you can't use, and we've got some links to them on our uh, UC, University of California Cooperative Extension webpage. But it's really important to kind of look at your state because it gets a little complicated, like a lot of this regulatory stuff can be, about what you can use and can't use. That being said, you know, there's some great work about uh, using diatomaceous earth, um, and mm-hmm. diatomaceous earth is a great and appropriate use for control of ectoparasites, uh, not just mites, right. most likely, but primarily mites in poultry. So it's really important when you're considering um, 
if you do have a mite problem, or even if you don't have a mite problem and you want your birds to dust bathe, um, to consider using food-grade diatomaceous earth in, a, um, in the equivalent of like a, uh, a cat litter box um, mm-hmm. in order to, if for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to work that well um, if you just put the uh, diatomaceous earth and kind of spread it on the ground. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is, and this is where backyard owners typically, they don't de-beak or they don't treat the beaks in any manner. Um, in commercial poultry, there are some welfare reasons that we do that. But in backyard poultry, because the flocks are relatively small, it's not a, really an issue to, to, to treat the beaks. Um, so the other thing that some of the research has come across is that one of the ways to control for ectoparasites is to not treat their beaks. And that kind of makes sense intuitively because now the birds can, can use their beaks in a way to, um, to kind of um, uh, clear any ectoparasites off of them. Um, in a way that maybe when their beaks are treated, it becomes a little more difficult. So the, the two things that the biggest thing, and we always go back to this, is biosecurity. Is that you know these these mites are brought there from something typically avian wildlife. Um, so we want to make sure that we uh, mitigate those those spatial interfaces, that interaction between the avian wildlife and our domestic poultry. The next thing is to keep our coops nice and clean. Um, so to get you know to to what we call we want to do what we call dry cleaning. So any kind of dust um, and litter material that builds up over time um, in our nest boxes um, can be uh, havens for uh, several types of different uh, mites that live off the host that typically spend their day not feeding and hence kind of hang out in these crevices and things like that. And the other thing you can do is close those crevices. Um, Keep it nice and smooth and clean. So if you have a nest box, and you've got plywood in there. There's all kinds of reasons that you're going to want to paint your plywood because obviously plywood doesn't do very well in weather, especially rain. Um, but one additional reason to, to paint that um, plywood and have it nice and smooth and clean um, is that it makes it much harder for those mites to survive there. So keeping things clean, dust down, um, and those crevices kind of sealed up as best as you can is, is a really effective way to do that. And then in addition to that, you can use this diatomaceous earth. And the nice part about the diatomaceous earth is that it allows them to dust bathe. Um, and dust bathe is, is considered an enrichment. So you're entertaining your birds while you're also um, hopefully controlling for all kinds of ectoparasites. And most of the research is done on mites, but there's probably some efficacy, I think, anecdotally, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, for other ectoparasites, including lice, which are, at least in California, um, one of the very common ectoparasites that we see. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me take a break here and go to commercial break. When we come back, we can um, continue and and then finish up because I know there's some other things you wanted to talk about. And I've got uh, – there's a question I thought of just a second ago. I didn't write it down. It's like, oh, I'll remember that, and then I'll remember it during the break. But um, we'll be back with you here in just – I had muted myself before I was ready to. But um, uh, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Maurice Pateski. And um, great topic today. Hope you're taking lots of notes. If you tuned in late, don't worry. This will be archived a little bit later uh, for your listening pleasure at any time you want to listen to. But we'll be back right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. 
They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Come back. Come back, back. Come back. Come back. Come back, 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 From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All right, thanks for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. And, uh, We've got our good friend, Dr. Maurice Pateski, on. I'm going to bring him back on live, and I figured it would happen. I can't for the life of me remember the question. It wasn't even related really to this, but you had mentioned something, and it triggered that thought in my brain, so obviously it's good that we're not going to waste time on a topic that's not related, I guess, at the end of the day. But uh, I was like, oh, man, that'd be a good question, and uh, there it went away. So um, I'll turn it back over uh, to you for the next few minutes while we wrap up. Yeah, sounds good. Well, Andy, I, I love non sequiturs, so um, anytime you have a non sequitur question, when we're talking about something completely unrelated, <laughs> I completely will appreciate it and, and understand that uh, we all connect dots differently in our brains. Um, <laughs> Definitely. So I, I, I do that all the time, where my inside voice is having a conversation, <laughs> then all of a sudden I blurt out something completely unrelated and expect everyone <laughs> to keep up with me. <laughs> um, yep, it was. I was like, oh, me. So just a couple of things I wanted to mention. Um, so one thing I forgot to mention about mites is they can survive for a long time without feeding. So, um, you know, typically when, when someone has a uh, salmonella outbreak or coccidia or whatever it be, I'll, you know, tell the people, like, let's just have some downtime. That's usually the, the secret to a lot of things. If we just uh, clean everything out, we disinfect it, we let the sun kind of take over, we don't have any poultry for, you know, weeks or a month or two. Well, mites are, are kind of the exception to that. Um, there's several other things that are, but, but that's definitely one of the exceptions. And, and mites can survive uh, up to oh, uh, close to a year without feeding. Um, so they can be very challenging to deal with, and, and you can certainly understand why uh, there are so many different insecticides that get used to control mites, uh, some that are completely uh, viable and appropriate to use um, in food animals, but some that are not. So um, they are they are a challenge to deal with, and diatomaceous earth is is not perfect like everything. Um, if the animals do not, if the chickens don't uh, dust bathe, which some chickens don't, it's probably not as effective. Um, so if you are 
you have some breed of chicken that doesn't like dust bathing and for whatever reason, then, then it's probably not going to be the most effective treatment um, out there. So it's certainly worth trying, but, but I, I certainly do appreciate that there are a lot of challenges and a lot of environmental issues. And I think to that point, you know, to me, um, especially the people that are listening that, that are raising chickens um, with children um, or just raising it because they want to get the experience and, and, you know, kind of understand what it's like to, to make their own, uh, their own food at even in the limited level, you know, to me, the real interesting thing about this is that you get to kind of get an idea of this decision-making process of, of how you're making your, your birds healthy, but you want, you want them to, you don't want any welfare issues. You don't want any food safety issues. And that balancing act is really interesting to me. And I think kind of going back to the bigger picture about the lead and the fipronil and all these other kind of uh, things that are there, I, I think it's a really interesting topic for kids, especially children, to understand um, how we interface with our environment. So if we have a healthy environment, um, we are more likely to have healthy food animals and we're more likely to then be healthy ourselves. If we don't have a healthy environment, if we have lead in the environment or we're using chemicals in, in an inappropriate way, we are more likely to have unhealthy animals um, and, 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 and for us to be um, unhealthy also. So that, that connectivity um, with our environment that, that, that is around us um, and, and some of that we control, some of that we don't control, but, but understanding that, and, and we have the technology nowadays, we have the resources nowadays to really uh, understand that, I think is really an interesting topic and is something that um, you know, I hope the listeners will kind of uh, take advantage of. We, we, we're very fortunate. We live in a, in a country where we have those resources, and uh, they're highly subsidized typically. So in California, for example, uh, if you pay $20, you can submit, I think, up to four chickens to one of, our di- one of our four diagnostic labs. And in some cases, they will do thousands of dollars of work um, to try to figure out what disease that chicken had in order to protect the, the, the public in general. So it's an investment that the state makes in order to protect, to protect our, our ability to trade globally, but also to protect our, our population. Yeah, sorry. That is awesome. I know several states have um, a state poultry lab, and, and um, uh, can you can you just well, yeah, I'm not going to waste it because it's a different topic. I was going to go into, and that's a totally separate show. And and because it's, um, I was going to get to say, well, how if someone sends the birds, how do they need to pack? That totally different show. So, <laughs> in fact, mm-hmm. if folks want to listen, about three years ago, three or four years ago, and it was in uh, around Thanksgiving, we had. Um, and unfortunately, man, it was a sad day when I heard that he had passed um, uh, somebody from UC Davis, a doctor there, and he had passed away literally two weeks before he was supposed to retire, three weeks before he should retire. I, you may know who I'm talking about. Um, and he, he's come oh, on the show. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Uh, it was and, um, um, Bruce um, Charlton. That was it. That was it, absolutely. Yeah. And he came I on him for well. a full maybe even longer than a two-hour show, but it was at least a two-hour show we did, and he walked through from the time he received the bird to the time oh, he nice. was done and writing his report. He went straight through a necropsy on the air and from everything that he would look for and what he's looking for. It, it, was, whoo, it was an awesome show, good two-hour show. It, it was great to have him on, and I, I had reached out to try to have him on again and heard the, the sad news, and that was, oh, that was a bad day. But um, that will go down in history as one of the best shows one of the we have had many. <laughs> one of the best oh, shows nice. we've ever had, and uh, it, it was great. So, um, yeah, yeah, he's a great. He was a great guy. He was, he was a very good friend of mine. That's that's awesome. Good to hear it. Um, that's great. Any anything else, uh, Doc? Before we wrap up, obviously with the mites and lice thing, I don't think you mentioned it unless I missed it. But obviously, biosecurity. <laughs> we always seem to start and end with with biosecurity. So uh, the importance of that. Uh, trying to prevent these diseases, including the the mites and lice, from coming into your coop through the wild animals and wildlife and things like that. The uh, mice and rats, rodents, wild birds, setting up that wild bird feeder in your backyard and that wild bird bath and get get those out of there. A uh, disease vector and um, but yeah, I guess should we should we wrap up again talking? Just remind people about hey, you know, prevention is key and biosecurity is a big part of that. Yeah, we did talk about it a little, but but absolutely, that is mm-hmm. is when it comes to Diseases in general, that's where I think uh, poultry is, is kind of one of the leaders just because um, we've always been very proactive in preventing disease um, because we know because of all the reasons we talked about earlier, there's not a lot of drugs we can use. 
so it's much easier um, to prevent um, disease than to get the disease and then have to treat it. Um, so if we're going to put all of our resources, if we're really going to be efficient about this um, mm -hmm. as far as time and money, prevention should be literally 95% of our time and money, and then the other 5% should be if and when we do get an outbreak of disease, then we, we have to um, mm -hmm. respond appropriately there. But it's, it's much worse doing it the other way around. We don't want to spend all our time and money once we have an outbreak of whatever we're dealing with. We'd rather focus on the prevention. And uh, unfortunately, even if you have you know, some of the commercial producers, they, they do a great job and they still get outbreaks of disease. So it, it happens to everybody. Um, but they still, mm -hmm. I think that the dogma of, of focusing on prevention is, is key and that interface with wildlife for backyarders can be challenging, but, but I think we all have to find mm -hmm. some kind of middle ground that uh, that works for everybody. I completely agree, and we try to do that every day on the show and in the magazine and, and even in the book. So um, thanks for coming on today. Fabulous show, uh, tons of great information, and it's always a pleasure to have you on, and we'll see you um, next month, um, and we'll have another great topic, uh, topic then. Maybe we can – I don't know. Do you do a lot? It'll be – It'll be Thanksgiving or near Thanksgiving when you're on, I guess, next month. Do you, how, what do you do? You do anything with turkeys out there at the college? Or are you primarily not a lot? I mean, there's chickens? there's definitely other people that know more about turkeys than I do, but um, we can think about a topic um, that might be uh, Thanksgiving centric <laughs> and go from there. There you go. That sounds good. We'll do that. Well, hey, thanks for coming on today. We appreciate it, Doc. Great. Thanks, Andy. Good talking to you. Okay. Thank you. Alrighty, that's uh, man. It's just uh, where else are you going to get this information, folks? That's you know you can get Chicken Whisperer magazine. You can subscribe to the totally free, not going to cost you a dime. Totally free, digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine, where you've got folks. And this this coming up winter issue, the winter issue is coming up. Five articles, five very very smart people. Um, we've got poultry veterinarians and poultry two poultry scientists and uh there's five people oh my gosh five articles five poultry professionals writing those articles it's going to be an incredible incredible issue the winter issue you're going to want to get that and you'll get that for free if you go and subscribe chicken whisperer magazine.com science-based fact-based study-based information for you to help keep a healthy flock in your backyard bottom line uh, thanks for tuning in today. We do appreciate it. We'll be back uh, next Thursday. Normally today would have been Dr. McRae, third Thursday of the month, but um, I think we had an issue last weekend scheduling with uh, Dr. Pateski, so he came on today. So um, is this next week is the fourth week. Yeah, so we'll see if we can't have Dr. McRae come on next Thursday, the 26th, with an awesome topic. Anyway, thanks for tuning in today. We do appreciate it, and... Um, Enjoy your backyard flocks. We'll see you next week, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. God bless everybody.